It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for November 5th, 2009. Welcome to the program. We appreciate you being a part of it tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is across the table from me again tonight. Jacob, great to be with you. We always look forward to Thursday nights and the Virtual Bible Study. And we look forward to you participating in the program tonight. You do so by dialing 877-381-4567, 877-381-4567, or you can send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Jay, there's a couple other ways that you can hear from us. We, we send out uh, every week uh, an update about our topic for discussion. You can get on that mailing list, send us an email to that same email address, questions at collegeview.com. Just put in the subject line, add me to your list. And we're also sending out our updates by way of Twitter to, uh, to advise our Twitter followers as to what our topic is going to be. And we usually send that out on Thursday afternoon as well. And, Jacob, tell them about the chat room they can get into. The chat room is available if you're watching us at Ustream.tv. It is on your screen, on the bottom of the screen. Follow the instructions, and you can join in with other listeners. Jared in Cookville is in the chat room tonight and waiting for other listeners to join him there. If so, we got, it looks like we've got some other lookers but non-participants and if you want to participate jacob you've got to get a uh, a little free account sign up you don't have to give your real name or anything just give us give a, a a chat name and get a get a an account and you can be in there in the chat room as well all right we look forward to your participation on the program tonight tonight's program is going to be interesting we talk a lot about uh, things that uh, have relevance on our day-to-day life this is a relevance to our life after this life is over yeah we we got the idea because of a recent article in newsweek magazine and i'm probably not going to say this guy's name right jacob dinish d'souza i'm not sure if that's right but he's written a book called life after death the evidence and what's interesting here is uh, i'm just going to read you a few uh, excerpts from this uh, uh newsweek column It says uh, his book attempts to build a case on unshakable scientific grounds for the survival of consciousness beyond death. Ghosts, mediums, and miraculous cures by the intercession of saints play no role in his argumentation. It draws instead on quantum mechanics, neuroscience, and moral philosophy. That's what I would have guessed. Yeah, Yeah, right. Well, he says... uh, uh, He's trying to be able to prove that life exists beyond death without the benefit of Scripture or Revelation. In other words, you're not going to argue it from the Bible. We would argue it from the Bible. The Bible's clear on that. We're going to talk about that in our study tonight. But he said he's trying to make effort to prove that there is a moral consciousness beyond physical death. Um, he says he, has, he does not claim to have communicated with anyone who has died. He does not expect to do so. Instead, he looks to the human heart and finds therein a universal moral code underlying acts of self-sacrifice and charity that appear to run counter to the Darwinian imperative to outcompete thy neighbor. I do think that's an interesting argument. We've actually made it before. When talking to, to evolutionists, 
we try to ask them, how did it, how did it evolve in the humankind that we care for our weak and our sick and those who can't do for themselves? What, what evolutionary benefit would there have been to the species to do that? There is none. And so we, uh, he makes that same argument. You know, that, that tends to indicate there's something more than just evolutionary nature at work. He goes on, uh, uh, God's, he, he tries to turn to his advantage, one of the atheist's favorite arguments, God's apparent tolerance for human suffering. Precisely because evil is so often goes unpunished in this world, he asserts the moral code must reflect another reality in which souls are judged, punished, or rewarded after death. The postulate, so, in other words, so he's, he's saying, saying see, since he doesn't see evil punished here all the time, then there's got to be some there other There's got to be some other realm where pun- evil will be punished, he argues. The postulate of an afterlife enables us to make sense of this life, he argues. We would make some of those same arguments as well, by the way, from the Bible. Uh, he says uh, he has a checklist. Uh, there's a checklist of benefits from believing in life after death. One, it keeps us honest. Two, it gives our lives a sense of hope and purpose. Three, it provides a mechanism to teach our children right from wrong. I believe all that. Again, I would argue the Bible emphasizes all of those things. But he's saying that these are benefits of believing in life after death. I would agree with that. Where does where does life after death? Now, here's where it gets really kind of creepy. Are we getting quantum mechanics yeah, here now? Yeah. Okay. Where does all this life after physical life on Earth, where does it take place? He says it happens in the multiverse. Oh, yeah, the multiverse. The, the infinitely multiplying complex of worlds predicted by some versions of quantum theory. In the multiverse, physical laws can take on different values, and matter itself may have a different form. So there's nothing in physics to contradict the idea that we can live beyond death in other realms with bodies that are unlike the bodies we now possess. The multiverse uh, is a perfectly respectable concept in theoretical physics uh, and so forth. Well, he'd been better off to read his Bible. His head probably wouldn't have hurt quite as bad after that. But uh. Also, he, he mentions, although he doesn't make any argument from people who supposedly had experienced near-death episodes near-death experiences uh he doesn't make his argument from that but some people argue that near-death experiences help to prove that there's life beyond physical death why don't you send us your thoughts on the near-death experiences or maybe put it in the chat room what do you think about the near-death experience as it relates to uh, the afterlife as we talk about it on the program tonight you've got some questions for us to consider yeah we, again we're just using that article in newsweek as sort of a springboard for our discussion tonight because we believe the bible definitely talks about the realities of life beyond death it talks about heaven and hell and so here's the questions that we put out there earlier today of all the descriptions of heaven given in the bible which one most appeals to you and makes you want to go there so uh, there are several different descriptions of heaven. Which one is the most appealing to you? That, that, that's going to be a subjective uh, answer. I mean, some, something may appeal to you more than to me and vice versa concerning going to heaven. But t- tell us what you like about the thought of heaven that makes you want to go there. Number two, this is a question that a lot of people bat back and forth, and we want to get some input on this. Do you think that we will recognize one another in heaven? Why or why not? Give us some Bible on that. Do you think we will recognize one another in heaven? Number three, of all the descriptions of hell given in the Bible, which one most frightens you and makes you not want to go there? So what makes you want to go to heaven from what you read of it in the Bible? What makes you not want to go to hell as you read about it in your Bible? 
And then, number four, the Bible mentions many types of sinners that will spend eternity in hell. Which type will constitute the largest majority in hell? What do you think? Of all those people who are going to go to hell, what will be the largest group of the kinds that are described as going to hell? All right. Join in on the discussion tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Join in the chat room. We have asked you, if you would, uh, about the near-death experience as well. That's a, a fifth. That's the bonus question for tonight. So join in on that discussion. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We'll start on the positive. What about heaven tonight? What the scriptures tell us about about heaven and uh, what our listeners think is the okay, most We've positive got some thing. replies. We need a lot more. Uh, give us your reply. What, do you, what makes you want to go to heaven? What you know of it from what the Bible says? What makes you want to go there? Uh, we've got an email from Jim in Mount Pleasant who references Revelation, the 21st chapter. He says he wants to go to heaven because of its physical definition as well as, as its emotional one. Well, that's kind of funny because obviously it's not a physical destination. It's not a physical place. But, but it has a physical definition. Yeah. Because we're hindered by our understanding. Yeah, I, I think I think one of the, one of the things that... that we have in the scriptures is God's effort to put into human terms something that we really t- can't totally relate to. It's, it's beyond human description. It's beyond. We don't have vocabulary and we don't have mental capacity to be able to comprehend all that. And so God has put into words things wonderful to help us try to realize how great heaven will be. But Jim goes on to say from Revelation 21, no tears, no pain, etc. is what sounds wonderful to him about heaven. I would agree. Yeah, heaven is one of those subjects that does uh, reveal our our limitations uh, mentally, where we cannot comprehend certain things. A lot of people have had their faith destroyed because they tried to understand the things that they couldn't understand, if even if God had revealed them to them. Heaven is one of those things that we could not understand had God not put it on terms uh, that we could uh, deal with, and uh, we certainly see that in the book of Revelation. So we appreciate Jay, uh, Jim for his comments we've got, tonight. We've got an email from Johnny and Loretta who says, what appeals to me most is that Jesus will be there. And that certainly is an, uh, an attraction, and um, and the scriptures present it that way. And uh, people in the New Testament looked forward to that. Paul looked forward to that. And I'm afraid, though, that uh, we maybe lose focus from, of that from time to time. Yeah, and I would I would even expand what Johnny said there about Jesus being there. I, I think that's certainly a wonderful thing to contemplate. But there there are um, others who will be there that also, of course, the Father will be there and the Holy Spirit will be there. So all three beings of the Godhead will be there. In fact, um, when when Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, he talked about the return of the Lord. He says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. To be with the Lord, that is, that is as Johnny says, that's a great thing about heaven that we've got to look forward to. Isaiah sixty three fifteen. look down from heaven and behold from the habitation of thy holiness and of thy glory. So heaven is where God is. It's the habitation of his holiness, and we can be there with him. Uh, it is a wonderful thing to contemplate. So I, I think uh, Johnny has hit the nail on the head there. Of course, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit will be there. The holy angels will be there. But I tell you something that always has intrigued me is to think about 
the saints of all ages being there. You think about great heroes of Old Testament time. Uh, you think about Abraham. You think about Job, Noah, Moses, Joshua, Elijah. I mean, just d- just enumerate all the great Old Testament heroes of the faith with the thought of them being there. Um, that That is certainly something that I believe will, will make it wonderful. Think of all the New Testament characters of faith, the apostles, Peter and John, the apostle Paul, Timothy, Titus, you know, just Luke. Just add to all the, the great ones that will be there and the opportunity to be in their presence. Uh, I don't know what, exactly what it will be like. I don't know if we'll be able to sit down and have a conversation with them. Or how, I don't know all the mechanisms of how heaven will be, but there'll be a wonderful host in heaven. The, the, the Godhead three, the holy angels, all the saints throughout all ages, it's going to be a wonderful place to be. And we're going to be worshiping God continually in heaven, and that is going to be uh, certainly a, a benefit as well. You know, a lot of people, I think, think of heaven as being some type of, uh, of tropical island where there's white sand and clear water and blue skies and you just you're just there and it's just well, yeah, th- a physical you know I think people take what they like best of earth and right. try and try to say heaven will be that in the perfect sense you know it'll be it'll be the most wonderful beautiful trout stream you ever saw Jacob with yeah. with 18 inch uh, brook trout just jumping into your creole basket without even having to hook them you know yeah. I mean that's what we like to do. Or if you're if you're a golfer, you, you think it's going to be like the Augusta National, ten times better. Or, or you know, there's going to be a buffet line with the greatest food there. Yeah, and you can yeah. just eat. And I think that, that's that's a carnal view of heaven. I mean, that's what the that's what the Muslims do. You know, they they say heaven will be, you know, the the rewarded men will go to heaven and have seventy virgins in heaven. Well, that's carnality. You know, we, and our carnal nature will be destroyed at death. We're not going to be physical beings anymore. And those the things that appeal to the carnal man aren't a part of what heaven will be like. That's right. Our service to the Lord here on, and on this earth, I think, is a primer of what heaven's going to be like. We're going to be able to worship God and serve God without the limitations of the physical body there. And uh, it certainly is going to be different than the common view. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Jared says eternal rest with our Heavenly Father is what will be awesome. And so we appreciate uh, those comments from Cookville, Tennessee tonight. All right, looks like we're up time for a break, but l- l- let's take. A, a, I'm going to jump ahead to our question uh, about recognizing one another in heaven. We've said it's going to be a wonderful place. Departed saints will be there. That being the case, some people that we know and knew before they died. We all have people that we loved, people that we believe lived a faithful life of service to the Lord. We're hoping to be there, and we're hoping they'll be there too. Well, let's say that I get there, and this dear friend of mine who died 20 years ago, assuming that he's there, will I see him, and will I know him, will I recognize him in heaven? That's that's an interesting question. Let's talk about that when we get back from the break. We'll take that up on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? 
Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. Us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College of You Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the program tonight. We appreciate you being a part of the program. Looking forward to you hearing are hearing from you on the program tonight via the email, via the phone, or in the chat room tonight. Uh, three ways you can join in on the discussion. We will remind you, if you are on Twitter, you can follow the Virtual Bible Study on Twitter. Uh, what, is it the Virtual Bible Study at Twitter? VBS Questions. VBS Questions at Twitter. Or if you're on Facebook, there's a group of, of uh, listeners on, on Facebook. Search for the Virtual Bible Study on Facebook. And you can join in with other listeners there. We're talking about heaven and hell on the program tonight. You posed a, a question for us to think about over the break. Yeah, we want to talk about uh, will we recognize one another in heaven. I think that's an interesting question. But before I get to that, I want to read an email from uh, our friend Bob in Indianapolis, Indiana, who wrote and said, concerning the idea of life beyond physical death, existence, consciousness beyond physical death, He said, why in Luke 16, he's talking about the story of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus told there. He said, why in Luke 16 did nobody say, what in the world are you talking about? He says, there was no more questioning of that story than there was of the lost coin or other stories that Jesus told. Why? Possibly because there were several people who'd returned from the dead and surely those around them would have asked their experiences. I'm thinking that the afterlife was commonly known and understood at that time. Kind of an interesting observation. I never thought about it that way. But, you know, there were some people that were raised from the dead really throughout the Bible history, not just the New Testament. Some Old Testament people were raised from the dead. But in the lifetime of Jesus, for instance, we think about Jairus' daughter. We think about Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days. But none of none of their stories are told as to what they saw or experienced after they died physically. But you have to believe, I think what Bob says is likely true, you have to believe people said, Lazarus, what was it like? What did you see when you were on, uh, you know, on the other side? Yeah, so you have to believe that maybe, or of course there's always the possibility that God would have blanked that out of their memory too. We just don't know, and it's not stated in Scripture, but... Uh, the idea of, of an existence beyond the grave has been believed by by humans, well, really since time began. We have a small studio audience tonight as well, and Junior is, uh, during the break, it brought to our attention John 14, verse 2, where Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And so certainly the accommodations in heaven are going to be uh, very nice and uh, will be in good company. And it will be a, a good place to be. I think that, Junior, I think that that mansion in heaven and other descriptions like streets paved with gold, the crystal sea, uh, you know, pearly gates, all of those kind of things are intended to help us visualize something wonderful. But really beyond description, it's going to be better than a mansion. It's going to be better than gold streets. It's going to be better than pearly gates. But those were the best things God had that we can relate to, to to tell us something about heaven. God just wants us to understand it's a wonderful place. And, you know, the idea of it being a reward, he intended it to sound that way. He, he, He uses reward motivation to get us to be faithful, to, to spur us on to obedience. No, you know, some people would want to say, well, that sounds kind of um, oh, oh, a mercenary maybe to be working for the Lord in order to get a reward. But the, the Lord uses those kind of descriptions. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, beginning, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus said, Heaven is a reward. Um, Romans 8, verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We're going to get a reward for suffering now. 2 Corinthians four seventeen. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then finally, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that also that love his appearing. So the Lord uses reward motivation to spur us on. And so that's why we have these wonderful descriptions about heaven, and because God wants us to think, that's the place I want to be. It sounds wonderful. All right. Now, back to this question, Jacob. Will we recognize one another in heaven? Um, there's there's an upside to that. I would like to uh, I would like to see some of those people that, that I've known and loved who've passed on, assuming that they receive the reward of heaven and I do too. One of the things that would be very thrilling to me is the thought of being reunited with loved ones departed. But there's a there's a downside to that too. Let's say that I make it to heaven, and someone that I love doesn't make it to heaven. I make it to heaven, but let's say that my wife or my mother or my father doesn't make it to heaven. Well, could I be happy in heaven if I'm there but knowing, recognizing that this dear loved one of mine didn't make it and it, and, and therefore they're suffering in hell while I'm in heaven? Would that diminish my enjoyment of hell? And that's what makes some people say, I don't think we're going to recognize each other. There's no overcoming that. So if you haven't if you haven't sent us a response, send us your thinking on that. Um, we know things will be different in heaven. In Matthew chapter twenty two, verse thirty, Jesus said, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So things will definitely be different. Uh, but there are some indications, perhaps, that uh, we will know each other. Uh, Jim references one in Revelation chapter three, verse five. He says, Yes, I do think we will recognize one another because each faithful will have their name confessed by the Savior in Revelation 3, verse 5, and also because the rich man in Luke 16, verse 24, recognized Abraham and Lazarus, even though they were in in the Hadean realm of the unseen, it was still after death, and they did not have physical bodies. So, yes, I think there will be a way for us to somehow recognize one another. 
Interesting comments from Jim. Johnny says, uh, I say uh, I say this in jest, but I believe this to be true. Yes, I think we will recognize each other in heaven. We recognize each other now here on earth. I don't suppose we could be, uh, I don't suppose we would be a bigger dummy in heaven. Uh, so he, he kind of joking, he says, if, we, if if in our fallible, I guess he's saying if in our fallible human form we recognize one another. Yeah, he was saying that tongue-in-cheek there, yeah. but uh, he, he thinks we will. Um you know, there's other indications in Revelation chap in Revelation throughout the book of Revelation. John saw elders in heaven. He was able to recognize elders there. Let me give let me give you some suggestions I got, and I got these from some others. One one preacher I know makes a big play on the Old Testament phrase "gathered to his people," and he okay. says this this implies uh, that we will know one another in heaven. Genesis. Here's an example, and it's mentioned a bunch of times. But in Genesis 25, verse 8 and 9, Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah. So he was gathered to his people, but then he was buried. Gathered to his people was not a reference to him being physically buried. That was something else. He was gathered to his people. I think that's talking about his soul or his spirit. His body was buried in the cave of Machpelah, but he had already been gathered to his people and that expression is common in the old testament um but here's here's an interesting one from king david in second samuel chapter 12 you remember he had committed the sin with bathsheba a child was born to them the child was afflicted and was not going to live and uh it says in second samuel 12 beginning verse 15 the lord struck that child the child that uriah the wife uriah's wife bare to david and it was very sick David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David had confidence that he would go to be with that departed child in heaven. So that, that those arguments are made from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we might argue that um, the the case of the transfiguration of Jesus implies that we maintain our identity beyond the grave. When in uh, um, Jesus, when he was transfigured, was seen with Elijah and Moses. Their identities were recognizable still long after the hundreds and hundreds of years after they were dead. Their identities were still recognizable. Uh, In Luke 13, verse 28, Jesus said, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Jesus was condemning the disobedient. And warning of the punishment was coming to them. But they, he said, you'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets, and you'll be excluded, but you'll see them in their reward. Uh, and then I, I would agree absolutely with the, the comments that Jim made. Surely the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter Luke 16 stresses the fact that those men, their identities were maintained beyond the grave. I mean, that seems very clear in Luke chapter 16. So, I would argue that, yes, we will recognize one another after death. Now, what about 
Could I be happy if someone I really love didn't make it? Well, I think when we get to heaven, we will have a, a more perfect understanding of right and wrong and of God's perspective on things. And I think at that point, we'll understand God's justice. And uh, by understanding God's justice, we'll, we'll, it will take away the human emotion of, of that, and we'll, we'll understand that uh, God's way is correct and that, uh, he, that his righteousness uh, demands that, uh, that sin be punished. That's right. I, I, I believe that's the answer. We, we, we're judging everything right now from, from our human perspective, and we're not going to be looking at things from the human perspective. We'll have full knowledge and understanding at that point that we don't have now and we will as you said jacob be able to understand completely and and fully god's justice and his in his judgment and the righteousness of of what he has done in either rewarding or punishing all individuals and that promise of god wiping away all tears from our eyes revelation 21 verse 4 is an important one and i i believe that that there will be no sorrow or grief in that realm because of our changed nature and understanding all right we're up against the break time for this week's bullet point we'll continue the discussion on the other side uh, are we going to get into the negatives after this break or we've got more on on the well positives? we've got to talk about hell uh we're going to talk about some of the descriptions of hell and uh some of the inhabitants of hell all right 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com there is a discussion in the chat room tonight i think there are some out there who believe that after uh, this life is over. We go into a state of sleep, of soul sleep, where uh, you're not conscious of anything. Well, we can uh, look at, look at that uh, during the break and maybe take up that discussion on the other side. Uh, if you're not in the chat room tonight, go out there and see what's going on there. We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. How do you evaluate a congregation? We all do it, of course. We decide that that particular church is good, while another is just so-so, and maybe yet another is not what we like at all. While we understand that such judgments are natural and necessary, our concern is about the basis upon which we make these choices. We have heard Christians who make comments like, that church is not friendly, or the preacher preaches too long, or maybe they keep the building too hot, while others at the same time are saying, they keep the building too cold. On and on it goes. Or maybe on the positive side, we've heard people say things like, they have activities for the young people, or they have a lot of get-togethers, or we really like that song leader and the singing is so good. Would you like to know the true basis for determining a good church? Let Jesus show you. Read the letters to the seven churches of Asia in Revelations chapters 2 and 3. Two of those seven churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, receive high praise and no rebuke. Both of those churches were commended for their dedicated stand for the truth, even in the face of persecution. There's no hint of the superficial social activity that so many people are looking for these days. These two churches were simply congregations that took a strong stand for the truth and demonstrated a diehard conviction for what was right. Would you have been happy as a member of Smyrna or Philadelphia? We can't guarantee that the folks there were overtly friendly or that there were a lot of get-togethers or that the singing was top-notch. They were just dedicated Christians doing their spiritual work. Would this be enough for you? It was for Jesus. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? 
For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're a part of the program. We look forward to your participation over the phone or over email tonight. We're talking about what happens after death. We're talking about heaven and hell. One thing that happened after death uh, this week, Dad, I don't know if you heard about this in the news, a man went to his own funeral. Did you hear about that? I heard something about that, yeah. Yeah, they thought he was dead. Uh, they had misidentified the body, and uh, when he got word of it, he went to the funeral and uh, told Showed him. Showed up at his own funeral. I don't think that's good. That's not going to happen to us, though. Okay. So uh, what happens to us after uh, death? We got a question in the chat room from Dean who asked, you know, I, I, we were just saying, Jacob, that we, we think that we'll have full and complete understanding in in the other realm therefore we would understand god's judges judgment and justice and not not be grieving over maybe a loved one who didn't make it to heaven but dean asked a question and i'm i'm going to put this out there for everybody what text would tell us that we we will have this change in understanding uh you know we made that we made that explanation but we didn't offer a verse offer a verse um i don't know what verse i would use other than other than you know that there'll be no tears in heaven. That tears are usually the result of some emotional loss or, or or something of that nature, and God's going to make it so there are no tears in heaven. That being the case, there'd have to be something different there than here. Yes, and I don't know that we're. I don't think we're going to gain God's perfect understanding and knowledge. We're not going to be infinite in our understanding like He is. I don't believe in heaven, but uh, part of our our. Uh, Preparation for heaven here on this earth is getting our thinking to line up with his. And one of the ways that our thinking needs to line up with his is that uh, sin is terrible and sin needs to be punished and uh, and uh, is not tolerated. If we're get, that, We should ha- start to have that uh, approach to sin in this life. Yeah. Uh, and if we do have that, then when heaven, we get to heaven and we see that sin has been punished, then it will be not anything that we're sorry about. Well, if you've got some thoughts along that line, and you can help us out on that, uh, by all means. Well, if you if if you rec- if we recognize one another in heaven, and then we recognize that somebody we love is not in heaven, uh, what will we do with that? One one thing that we could throw into that too, Jacob, is that um, um, our our relationships are going to be different in heaven. You know, remember that Jesus said in Matthew twenty two thirty. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So, you know, if my wife or husband, my son, daughter, mother, father, whoever wasn't there, those relationships are not going to be the same in heaven as they were. So something's going to change. There's going to be there's going to be some changes that we don't all completely understand. In fact, the apostle John said something along that line in in um, uh, let's see, First John three. First John 3, beginning uh, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Even John said, something's changing we don't know what it will be exactly, but we're going to be like him. And then Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, beginning verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. 
for the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ or the excuse me the dead all all the dead we believe, all, the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so again some changes that we don't even know all about yet even John said he didn't know what all those changes would be there'd be some changes all right 8773814567 the line is wide open and we're ready to hear from you on the program tonight or well, if you'd like, give us an email or join in the chat room. Tonight. Well, let's talk about the part of this that's less popular. You know, what's interesting, Jacob, you read surveys about people believing in heaven or in hell. Vast majority of people believe in heaven. Very few people believe in, in a literal uh, hell because it's a lot less pleasant to think about. Uh, that's right. Uh, here's some quotes from the U.S. News and World Report in 1991. By most account, hell has all but disappeared from the pulpit rhetoric of mainline Protestantism. It's not popular today. Uh, and, uh, a, a preacher for a Methodist church in Washington, D.C. says, My congregation would be stunned to hear a sermon about hell. It's not popular. People don't have an appetite for it. People cannot tolerate it. Uh, editor of Christianity Today said, I haven't preached a sermon on hell in more than three decades um, and uh, and so uh, we see that it is just not a popular thought. In 1990, uh, the, a poll revealed that just under 60% of Americans believe that there is a hell, and only 4% believe it was their personal destination in 1990, and that certainly probably has gone down. Well, it's definitely unpopular. Here's a quote for uh, from uh, Robert Ingersoll, one of the most famous atheists who ever lived. He said, the idea of hell is born of revenge and brutality. I have no respect for any human being that believes it. I have no admiration for any preacher who preaches it. I dislike the doctrine. I hate it. I abhor it. I believe that the doctrine of hell is infamous beyond words. I guess we understand where he stands on that. But you know what? This has become more and more pervasive. I mean, you you could understand how an atheist might reject it or how a very liberal theologian might reject the idea of hell but it's becoming more popular even uh, even um, for instance among churches of christ here's a quote from a former president of pepperdine university this was in the la times he says for years i have lived with a developing pressure because of my intellectual conflict with the fundamentalistic doctrines and uh, dogmas and doctrines of the church of christ For years, it has been increasingly difficult for me to accept the simplistic assumptions of hellfire and brimstone, which most preachers in this church teach. And so he's saying, here's here's a fellow. Of course, he's obviously a very liberal uh, member of the Church of Christ. But even he is saying, I I can't abide all this hellfire and brimstone preaching. I don't like it. So it, it, it is an unpopular doctrine for sure. Certainly is. But having said that. One of the arguments that I would make for the exist for the reality of hell is that Jesus plainly taught it, and if you're going to reject it, you're going to have to reject Jesus. Because actually, it's interesting in the New Testament, by far and away, I mean it's not even close. Jesus was the one who spoke more about hell than anybody else. I mean, uh, the, the, the second place is way back there. Jesus was by far and away in first place talking about hell. Um, let me read a few quotes. Matthew 5.22, Whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. And Matthew 5.29, these are both quotes from the Sermon on the Mount. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. 
And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And finally, another quote, Hebrew, or excuse me, Matthew 10, 28, Fear not them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus taught it. Now, my point on that is, if you're going to reject it, you've got to reject Jesus. Jesus taught it. If, if he wasn't telling the truth, then he's not who he claimed to be. Yeah, I've got an outline here of various descriptions of hell, and a majority of them, almost all of them, come from Jesus' teaching. Yeah. Uh, either Jesus was lying, uh, Jesus was using some type of, I think, uh, uh, simplistic assumptions of hellfire and brimstone, as that uh, university president said. Maybe Jesus was uh, just using fables. But uh, you're going to either have to deny what he said, or you're going to have to accept that hell does exist. The apostles taught it. Not only did Jesus teach it, but the apostles whom we, from whom we received this revelation by, by means of the Holy Spirit revealing to the apostles, they wrote about it. Romans chapter 2, Paul said, verse 6, beginning, He will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. So hell is a, hell's a real place, and though it's not popular to talk about it, it is real. Now, with that, with that groundwork in place, of what we know about hell, this was, this was our third question to our update list, of what we know about hell, of all the descriptions given in the Bible, which one most frightens you and makes you not want to go there? All right, so we got uh, we got a few answers. We'd love to have more, but what 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 frightens you about? By the way, I think all the statements about hell, Jacob, are intended to make us afraid. Uh, we talked about heaven held out as a reward motivation. Well, definitely hell is used as a fear motivator to to make us not want to go there and to do whatever is necessary to avoid it. As you read in Matthew five verses twenty nine and thirty, Jesus said. He's not he's not advocating self mutilation, but he's saying if 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 self mutilation would keep you from it, it'd be worth even doing that. Yeah, um, I remember one time uh, I preached a, a lesson about hell. In fact, I was even using the the story of Paul preaching before Felix. Felix trembled when he when he reasoned of righteousness and judgment to come, and uh, I had a, a woman. Who, approached me she was visiting the services that day and she said i was absolutely wrong to try to be scaring people into obeying the lord that we ought to try to motivate people to obey out of love for the lord and that it was an absolute mistake to try to scare people or frighten people with into doing the right thing she hadn't read the gospels lately had she? she she hadn't read much of the bible i mean certainly we ought to love the lord and definitely we ought to be motivated to do what the lord says because we love him but the Lord himself and the holy apostles used the, the the fear motivator to get people to obey also. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Just a few places where Jesus used this fear. Um, he said in, um, well, I've lost it here, um, in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. 
And if thy right hand, if thy hand can offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell and the fire that shall not be quenched. The worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. He goes on, talks about cutting off the foot, plucking out the eye. Jesus was using fear there. I mean, he, wasn't, he wasn't saying you should not offend the children just because it's a good idea. He's saying if you don't, it'd be worse than having a millstone hanging around your neck and you're thrown into the sea uh, because of the punishment that you'd face. Um. We got a, we got an email from Jim where he says weeping. Now, what is it? What most frightens you? What makes you want not want to go there? Weeping and gnashing of teeth, everlasting punishment. Matthew twenty four fifty one and Matthew twenty five forty six. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, uh, that that expression gnashing of teeth in that context, I think, just suggests someone in such agony that unbearable agony, uh, and it's forever. And Jim says, you put those two things together, combining those two, I do not see how anyone would want to be in such a place of constant, everlasting pain and suffering with no hope of relief. I think that's that's the combination. Punishment without end. Punishment without the idea that it will be over something. You know, if you're in a really bad situation, let's say that let's say that you get you get thrown in jail for 20 years and it's a horrible jail. I mean, conditions are deplorable. But you can start counting down the days. 20 years is a long time. But tomorrow you'll be one day closer to the end of 20 years. And, and the idea of a light at the end of the tunnel, however dim it might be, would kind of keep you going. But in hell, the idea that there is no light at the end of the tunnel, there is no end, that you can't count off days and be closer to the end of it, I think that would make it just all the worse for there's, sure. There's a German proverb about eternity and how long it is. And it's, the proverb says, imagine a huge mountain. And every thousand years, a bird comes and carries away as much dirt as they can from the mountain that will fit in their beak. And they do that once every thousand years. They're coming and taking away a beak's worth of mountain. And the proverb says that when that mountain is gone, that is one second in eternity. Yeah, we'll just and be getting started. And obviously, <laughs> yeah. it'd be, it's not even that. So uh, certainly, it's un- un- unimaginable. Uh, we'll go to a break, and we'll continue the discussion okay. on the other side. 877-381-4567. Questions at College View. Dot com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd, but don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about the College View Church of Christ by visiting collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you have any questions about what the College View Church of Christ is all about, give us a call or send us an email anytime. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, with your questions about the church. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. If you've not joined in on the program tonight so far, uh, join in now. There's plenty of time. Um, in the chat room, Dean says, uh, all of it's frightful, of course. I guess it's etern- it's 
he's saying its eternal nature is the most frightful thing to him that it never will end. Although he goes on to say, although some who accept the reality of hell deny that it is eternal. And that, and he's right about that. I'm hearing that from some. They, they don't deny that there will be a punishment of the wicked, but they deny that it will be everlasting or, or continual without end. But Jesus was pretty clear on that. Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus depicted the, depicted the judgment scene, in Matthew 25, verse 41, Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then uh, a few verses later, he says, verse 46, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And so Jesus didn't teach the idea of annihilation, that the wicked would be punished and annihilated and it would be over with for him. He said it would be everlasting fire, it would be everlasting punishment. And in fact, the words used to describe how long heaven will last are the same words that are used to describe how long hell will last. Same, The same meaning of both of those words in the English and in the Greek, the same Greek word is used to describe both heaven and hell. So if heaven is eternal and everlasting, hell is as well. Jesus said so. It cannot be denied. Jared mentions uh, something that will make hell terrible. Being surrounded by immoral people for eternity would be horrible. You know, that's a point that I think is worth noting. We were saying heaven will be great because of who's there. Not just Father, Son, and Spirit, not just angels, but all the departed saints, all the great people who've ever lived. You know, the the truly faithful servants of God will be there. You'll love to be in heaven to be with them. The other side of that coin is all of the most horrible people who have ever lived will be in hell, and you'll be there with them if you're in hell. I mean, it won't just be, you know, average Sinners, it will be the off. I mean, well, that that's a that's a rating system that's that's ours and not God's. But you think about some of the most deplorable people who ever lived. You know, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Saddam Hussein, Mousy Tongue, all of those. They're going to be there. All the murderers and rapists and serial killers and all the most despicable people who've ever breathed the breath of life will be there in hell, and you'll be with them. So Jared says that's one of the things that'll make. It uh, bad, and he goes on to say, and knowing that others are in eternal rest while you're there in eternal torture would be horrible too. Um, and and I and and Dean adds, uh, those who know the gospel and fail to remain faithful to their uh, to that will regret it as well. Knowing we could have gone to heaven, and and uh, Anthony says, yes, just the regret will be terrible. I think that would be another terrible aspect of hell knowing that you didn't have to be there and you're there because of your own neglect you know you could have you could have avoided it and you didn't well just the regrets are going to make it terrible all right 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com there's one more question on our list tonight that you had asked yeah the the last question by the way johnny said uh the uh the thing that frightens him at most is being alone being without jesus that definitely true about hell the the last question we're just going to be out of time here in a minute but the last question you can still get in give us your answer the bible mentions many types of sinners that will spend eternity in hell which type will constitute the largest majority in hell? And what are you? Uh, you got me a little confused on this. What are you getting at? Well, will most of the people be murderers? Will most of them be rapists? Will most of them be liars? What will be? What will constitute the biggest majority? I, uh, I was thinking along the lines of Revelation twenty-one verse eight, 
In Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, The fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay. So there's a, there's a listing of people who will be in hell. But I, I guess if I was going to have to say what will be the biggest category, you know, we, like, we tend to think it's going to be the really terrible people. The people who who murdered and lied and, did, but I think the biggest group, if if you could you could actually lump them all into this group, the those who didn't believe, they didn't they didn't have faith that led to obedience. In other words, they might have acknowledged God, they might have even acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Son of God, but if they didn't have the faith that led them to obedience, everybody in hell is going to be in that category. I, I, I was I was kind of working along that line. So, so the unbelief, the the unfaithful, or the the unbelieving. Okay, uh, I, I, that's what I would say. Now, let's see what we've got here. Johnny says maybe I missed something here. I think he maybe was confused by my question too. But he says the only sinner I ever read about in the Bible that will go to hell is an unforgiven one. Okay, all right. So he thinks the majority of them will be unforgiven sinners because that'll be all of them. Yeah, they all, that would that would definitely include okay. them all too. And uh, Jim says. Those who knew better, they knew what they needed to do and did not do it. The greater majority of those suffering in hell will have ha- will have to add regret to the list of things that will cause them the most pain. And that's what we were saying there a minute ago, Jacob. The, the idea of, of the fact that you're there and you didn't have to be, you're there because of your own neglect, is really going to make hell bad. All right. Uh, there's some other people that uh, are going to be in hell. Uh, Matthew 25 tells us about some people. I think uh, that will there'll be a large number of people in here. Uh, it goes along with the regret that Jim mentioned. Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents in verses 28 through 30. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus said that they would that uh, they would cast away the one talent man into outer darkness. Uh, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth there because he had been given abilities and he didn't use them. And uh, we we think about we think about the sinner, the the guy who's holding up the convenience store, uh, the fornicator, the homosexual. We don't think about those who have talents and don't use them, and that's something yeah. that we need to be we need to be thinking about as well. Exactly right. And and I, I just came across a verse to to add to the idea of of the regret or the bitter memories. In Luke 16, we talked earlier about the rich man and Lazarus. In Luke 16, Abraham said to La, uh, to the rich man. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now is he comforted, and thou art tormented. And so he, Abraham told the rich man, you've got to remember. And that remembering would make, uh, uh, make the punishment a terrible thing as well. And again, uh, acknowledging that Luke 16 is talking about Hades, not hell. But it's talking about time beyond the grave, and it's, it's t- talking about those who already understood their eternal destiny to be either reward or punishment. There's another group of people that will be in hell that uh, there will be a large number of them, and this might surprise you. Uh, there's going to be a lot of religious people there. Matthew chapter twenty or Matthew seven verses twenty one through twenty three. Jesus said, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven." Many will say to me in that day, "Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your names?" And then will I declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. There's going to be a lot of people who are religious, who are in, who were religious in this life, who are in hell, unfortunately. 
Um, we've got a question that's just come in, and and I'm I'm trying to hustle to see if I can uh, find an, the answer, or at least a text I wanted. Uh, we got a we got a question from Jim up in Nashville, Tennessee, who asked the question: Will there be different degrees of punishment in hell? Uh, that's a really good question, and I think it's a hard question, and and I think I, I've read after people who take both sides of that position, and I, I guess I, I guess I'm I'm more inclined, just from a practical point of view, to say I don't think there will be degrees of punishment in hell for this reason: if if the Lord taught us that there would be degrees of punishment, then I think that that, that it would be motivation to sort of aim low. I might go to hell, but I'm not a real, real bad person, so I won't be in a real bad part of hell. It'll be, it won't be heaven, obviously, but it won't be a real bad part of hell because I haven't been a real bad person. And I think, I think that there would be some motivation there to sort of aim low instead of aiming for heaven. Uh, the the passage that that is often used in reference to Jim's question about degrees of punishment is Luke chapter 12. Uh, uh, let's see. Where do I want to Verse start? Verse forty-seven. Yeah, beginning. Let's. I was trying to see if I want to start a little earlier. Um, verse forty. Let's start at verse forty-five. This is Luke twelve forty-five. If the servant say in his heart, My lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servant and the maid servants to eat and drink and be drunken, the lord of that servant will come in the day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. So that's the passage that often comes up in this discussion of degrees of punishment. And at first blush, I think that the passage could be taken to mean that. But I think the key to understanding the passage is right at the end of verse 48. To whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required, and to whom men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. I think Jesus was more more so than teaching degrees of punishment. I think he was teaching degrees of judgment or accountability. In other words, if you have been given lots of opportunity and many abundant blessings and you didn't use them, then your standard of judgment is going to be higher than somebody who had very few opportunities, didn't have much ability, never got much of a chance. In other words, and, and that really speaks a warning to us because we live in an age of abundance and opportunity, and God is going to hold us accountable for using our opportunities. But I really think that Luke 12 there is teaching more the idea of degrees of judgment than degrees of punishment. But I certainly understand how it could be read to imply degrees of punishment. All right, Jim, thank you for that question, and I hope that's helpful to you. Uh, good discussion tonight, a good discussion we could have taken into two or three programs and uh, certainly may have to touch on the subject again in the future, but uh, the reality of heaven is real, the reality of hell is real, and we need to be prepared because we have a choice, and uh, we need to do as Joshua did and choose who we're going to serve and serve the Lord and be punished or be blessed eternally as a result and avoid the punishment that comes to those who are unrighteous. Exactly right. All right. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for being out there. We hope that uh, the discussion tonight was helpful to you and your preparation for that day of judgment in which we will have to give an account for the way that we have lived. We hope that uh, you have benefited. And if you have any questions about the things we said, please do not hesitate to contact us. We look forward to you being a part of the virtual Bible study this time next week. 
And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.